The world didn't need another hockey podcast. It needed a better one. Bear witness to the two-man forecheck. Well, Chris, we made it. We're here. The best and the worst of times are upon us. Yes, because the playoffs start on Monday. The playoffs start on Monday, which is the most glorious portion of the year, no matter what. If you say that you do not like the NHL playoffs, you do not like sports. You do not like competition. You do not like emotion, passion, and seeing guys lay it all out every shift, every minute, every breath, every drop of sweat for the most glorious trophy in sports history. Well, it's certainly the most unique. Uh, the fact that there is only one, you don't get, uh, unlike the NBA or NFL, where they make a new one every year, there is only one. You get one day with it, and that's it. And then you get a ring to commemorate what you've done. And they're very nice rings. <laughs> I'm not saying they aren't, but it, it's it's a very unique trophy something to be proud of it, it there's nothing like it in sport <laughs> and it's, it's also the hardest and other sports will tell you it's the hardest championship to win in sport i mean by design and it needs to stay that way yeah i'd rather they don't go to first of all i I'm not saying this because I heard it somewhere. I just I would rather them not go to a shorter series or a single game final or anything like that. They need to stick with what they have. 16 game. You have to win 16 games. Survive the gauntlet. And then you shall be crowned champion. Absolutely. And I as much as some people hate the current playoff format with the wild cards. And they want the one through eight. No, I want that division play. It's the best thing the NHL has done in the last 10 years. I think that the wild, I think the wild card scenario adds depth to the end of the season when most people would expect either teams to be mailing it in or, I mean, yes, if you happen to be the president's trophy team or you happen to be, sitting in a position where you know you can't move up or down. Yeah, you can rest people. But for the Peng, I mean, how important was it on the last day of the season that the Panthers, in order to avoid a certain situation, uh, had to beat Carolina? They didn't. Uh, how long did it take before it was official that Pittsburgh was in or out? It was like the second to last game of the season. Uh, it's gorgeous. It, it's it's, it case, makes the regular season more meaningful. In this case, the wild card works. The wild card works. Is there people thinking that, you know, good teams are going to go out, that the only way good teams are going to go out is because of this? No. When we had the one through eight format, good teams still went out in the first round. It's about beating who you have, who's on your schedule. The same as everyone else. Yeah. You know, Toronto and Tampa Bay are squaring off. They've been effectively locked into playing each other for two and a half months. The Devils and Rangers have been effectively locked into playing each other 
for two and a half months. Both of the, the Devils have bounced up into first place a couple of times. The Rangers have fallen back a little bit, but they they bounce back and forth in the two and three spots, and it's okay. And it's honestly, it's great because there's <clears throat> that local rivalry because the Devils don't play very far from the Rangers. There are probably households where there are fans of both teams. That's a gorgeous thing. Those games are going to be loud, rowdy, and the fans are going to be passionate every minute. I cannot wait to watch that series. I am legitimately of all the opening round series. That may be the one I want to see the most. I mean, to me, the key is that they managed to add wild the NHL in their infinite wisdom. And they actually and this is actually a good thing. So I probably shouldn't use that phrase because it has negative connotations. But adding or creating the whole wild card scenario, they didn't add teams to the play. Like the NFL went to wild card weekend and then they added the seventh. They're adding teams to the playoffs. They're trying to generate revenue. The NHL didn't add teams to the playoffs. They didn't water the playoffs down. They no. kept the same number of teams. They just made the end of the season more meaningful. Absolutely. <clears throat> teams that weren't teams that would not have been playing meaningful games 10 years before the switch to the wild card are just, are doing so now. I mean, we were, we were we were talking about Buffalo and whether they had a chance up until like what a week and a half uh, yeah. weeks ago. Like they they still had a minuscule chance when we recorded two uh, two Sundays ago. That's huge. Yeah. And you know what? Them and Ottawa playing at the end of the season when both of them were both of them were written off at the beginning of the year. I told I right on this podcast, I said that Buffalo was going to get at least 80 points and that I could see the senators going either way. How did they finish? They finished well. Um, I mean, Buffalo finished with 91 points in some years. That is enough to make the playoffs. The senators finished with 86 points. That hasn't been enough to make the playoffs in a couple of years. But they still had a very good home record at 24 and 14, uh, 24, 14 and three. If they can figure out how to play on the road next year, they're in. Because they had more home wins than either Florida or Pittsburgh. Uh, And Buffalo actually was the opposite. They had more home wins. uh, They had more road wins than Pittsburgh, Florida the Islanders, Tampa Bay, or Toronto. Actually, they, the only two teams that had more home or three teams that had more home road wins were actually Toronto. No, I'm sorry. Were actually Boston and the Devils. Two teams. Yep. So these guys are not far away. And saying that it would be a travesty for one of them to make it in because they were a wild card over – eighth place. I genuinely don't think most years it makes all that much difference uh, who gets in and who who gets out. Like this year, if you look at the if you look at the points standings, it's one through eight in the East uh, who are in the playoffs. 
and it's one through eight in the West. It's really not that big a difference except for how close it keeps the race. But that's really not an important story because we have our 16 teams. We have our matchups. We have the bloodletting that is uh, letting coaches go every year. Um, We have some interesting interpretations of what the best and worst lines uh, of the 2023 seasons were. We have an absolute trolling of Boston and Boston fans by Panthers players. Uh, And we have the end of an error uh, announced by a team uh, in regards to one of the most respected players of the past decade and a half. Uh, And then there's some other stuff we want to talk about, too. Chris, where do we start? I think we need to I think we need to start with Captain Sirius. Okay. Um I think some some of the fans saw this cuz I know I tweeted about it uh, a couple of weeks or a couple of days back, but Jonathan Taze was told by the Chicago Blackhawks management that the last game of the regular season this year would be his last game as a Blackhawks player. I uh, Go ahead. I was just going to say, I'm wondering if it's his and no, he hasn't said anything. No, I haven't seen anything, heard anything. I don't have any insider info. And I'm just wondering if this is his last game, not only as a Blackhawk, but in the NHL as a player. I have not heard. He hasn't been healthy the last couple of years. Uh, I mean, the amount of time he's had to take off has been significant. Oh, he I mean, he took an entire season off and then came back and played pretty well. Um, True. I'm not saying he didn't or couldn't. And he was number one in faceoffs this season. I'm not saying that he's done and I'm not hoping I'm, I'm hoping that he sticks around. I just I don't know if he's the type of guy he he strikes me as the type of guy that it's Chicago or I'm not playing. I, I, he I may, know he, he loves well, I could tell he loves to play, but I'm guessing that I'm going to guess based on the way he's conducted himself over the last decade or more uh, that he's also very loyal. Granted, yes, they paid him well, ten and a half million dollars a season. Can't complain about that. But I'm thinking that he's going to be loyal to the Blackhawks family. I don't know. I I don't want to see him go, but at the same point in time, it it's been it's been more difficult lately. If he can go and sign somewhere for a couple for a couple million dollars for a one or a two year deal, I mean, is he gonna do it? I guess it depends on what he wants. Like, you can make the argument that he's already a Hall of Famer, and many many people will. Uh-huh. If he really have to... feels he needs another 50 goals or another or he needs to win another cup in order to do it. Um, and that's important to him. I'm still I'm thinking, first of all, if if you have to stop and think about whether he's a Hall of Famer. Uh, what's wrong with you? Look, I, I look, I didn't say that this was the case, but. He's at 372 goals, popping in another 28 for his career to get to the 400 plateau. 
Okay. Not necessarily the worst thing that could happen to his uh, to his bid, assuming you think it needs polishing. Oh no, everything he does is just going to add to the resume. I get that. I'm just saying that as it stands right now, I don't think it's a question. Eight hundred and eighty-three points. You know, another hundred and seventeen there. He gets to the thousand-point plateau, and that's if he's reasonably healthy. That's two seasons. If he's not very healthy, he might not get there. But I mean, he's yeah, he's played over a thousand games in the league, but he's still only thirty-four years old. He'll turn thirty-five uh, this uh, in just a couple of weeks on April twenty-ninth. So uh, happy birthday! A little bit early, Captain Serious. Um. Oh yeah. Okay, so just just to reference this, three-time Stanley Cup winner. Yep. Um, Con Smythe winner, Selkie yep. winner, Messier winner. Yep. Um, voted to the NHL's 100th anniversary, uh, the anniversary team, NHL's 100 play- greatest players. Not that that's going to have a. Uh, a huge impact, but a little bit, maybe um, all rookie team. Uh, I don't think that he has to add to the resume. I think he's there. It's not, it's not whether we think he has to add to the resume though. It's whether he thinks he has to add to the resume or wishes to. I mean, you look at just looking at his international career is pretty much enough to put him in the hall of fame with a regardless of anything he's done in the NHL. I mean, 2005 U17 gold, 2006 world junior championships, gold, 2007 world junior championships, gold, gold, 2007 world championships, gold, 2008 world championships, silver, 2010 Olympic gold, 2014 Olympic gold, 2016 world championship gold. Um, honors, ACH second team, um, or WCHA second team, 0607, AHCA West first team, all American, 0607, WCHA all tournament team, 2007, NCAA West regional MVP in 2006. Yes. Those three Stanley cup championships. Um, <laughs> he's also got one, two, three, four, five all-star appearances, um, awards, uh, just now, oh, uh, oh, and just to, uh, youngest person to gain entry to the triple gold club at 22 years, 41 days, uh, and the second youngest to win the con Smythe to only Patrick Rua. Um, I think that's, yeah, it, there's no question that he belongs in the Hall of Fame, if you ask me. But the question, as it comes down to with Patrice Bergeron and other players of that same caliber, are they st- do they still believe they have something to give? Do they are they still are they willing to give up the game? Because look at Corey Perry. Corey Perry was. Going into the Hall of Fame, uh, you know, five years ago, he's still sticking around being, honestly, possibly the most annoying player in the league to his opponents. Um, but he's still – the thing is he's still – yeah. When they when they decide to do that, like Joe Pavelski, 37 years old, um, 
definitely not playing like a 37 year old down there in Dallas. If you look at his numbers and what he's been able to do, no. Corey, Corey Perry still playing on third, fourth line, not playing huge minutes, but playing significant minutes. And oh, by the way, might be somebody that you want to keep around in the playoffs since he's been to the finals with like three different teams. Oh yeah. I mean, he's, he's got that cup. He's also got poor all-star appearances. He's got, uh, you so, know, you look at his OHL career, uh, first all st- first all rookie team in O2, uh, CHL, NHL top prospects game. O3 first team, all-star first all-star team in O four O six. His junior is like his junior record just in that three year period. Terrifying. Like there are awards here that are just ridiculous. Um, I mean, no, go, no, ahead. go ahead. No, I was just gonna say I'm in no way advocating for Jonathan to be done. I don't think the captain series is any close to done. I'm just raising the point that with what's been happening to him medically over the last couple, three years, it may be something that's crept into his mind. I don't know. I would love to see him continue playing. You look at, okay, simple, like look at his face-off percentage. He was number one in the league this year. His career face-off percentage is 57.3. His best year was this year. His yeah. second best season was back in 12-13 when he was at 59-9. I mean, he, the guy is just, again, it's a timeless thing, but – time catches up with everybody at some point and I'm but, concerned about the health more than anything else. Hockey wise, I don't think he's any close to being done. I mean, like if he wants to come back next year and play for a contender, like if the, the we, we know the avalanche are a little bit cap strapped or cap strapped this year after winning the cup last year, um, next year they have 13 players signed. I'm sorry, 13 players with a roster and 16 million to do it. If he wants to come back and play for a million dollars, there's probably 25 or 30 teams who would find space for him. Um, they don't find space for him. I don't think he's going to places like Detroit. No, he's not going. Even to though, Detroit. They, even though they could, even though they could use. Year. Even though they could use his leadership, I don't think that that he's going to Detroit. I get that. He wants to – if he's going to go somewhere. Do you think he'll go to St. Louis and be their new captain? Oh, goodness. Oh, goodness. I don't know. I I don't know if I want to put him next to Bennington. I I don't – it's not even Bennington that actually terrifies me, even though – as uh, depends. He's fit, it, for a, put it, he's fit for a straight jacket. Fit for a straight jacket. My favorite quote of the last month. <laughs> I simply love the fact that Bish has no issue saying stuff like that. Well, the fact that he called, the fact that he told Marshand he was a bit of a loose cannon straight to his face. Well, okay, they were in different places, but I mean, he's not wrong. I didn't say Marshand. he was. He's a bit of a loose cannon. Like I said, and you know, being a bit of a loose off. cannon, being a bit of a loose cannon yourself, does it worry you when you to go up against somebody who's fit for a straitjacket like Bennington? Uh, okay, wow. he just coming from Marshan was gorgeous. He just kind of threw that out there, and then Marshan said what Marshan should say and tell everybody that he's making me look like the good guy. 
To which Bish of co- Bissonette, of course, said, whoa, 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 pump the brakes there, buddy. <laughs> the good guy. I love that exchange. It so was much. brilliant. It was a beautiful thing. But you can't you, – no, I don't think Jonathan Tate is going to to, to a, a rival. Uh, it, it could, but I don't see it happening. Not the Blues. If he's going to go somewhere – Serious – a serious – uh, idea. What's the closest Canadian team to his home? It's probably Winnipeg, but I don't know that he'd go there either. No, but I don't want to see him in Edmonton. No, the the team that I think could probably use him the most, although I think they need as much star power as they need personality. Well, you send everybody to Dallas. So I'm going to guess Dallas. Not Dallas, Carolina. Yes, I could see that only because they have the Carolina's hockey team. As much as I liked their defense a few years ago, as much as they've done some tweaks here and there, they have the personality of like cardboard. Like, I don't know. I don't know what they're. They're Drake. They're room temperature tap water. Yeah, I don't know exactly what their identity is. Their identity they, seems to be play as hard as they can to get into the playoffs and then crash. And we'll talk about the various uh, playoff first round series in a bit. Yeah. Um, but let's. But it would be interesting to send Jonathan Taze there. I don't know. Does, is he too much personality? Not enough personality? I mean. I I think it's I think that playoff focus, that playoff tenacity, um, drive, volition, uh, volition, whatever you want to call it, might be enough to draw the room together into a coherent force in the playoffs. Well, he has that nickname for a reason. They don't call him Captain Sirius just because, you know, it sounded like something to say. So, um, yeah, I think that his spoke, I think his laser focus could be helpful. And I imagine that he'd get along with Brenda Moore really, really well. Um, Good possibility. It's just sad to see that he's not going to be wearing the, he's not going to be wearing the, the, the original six uniform of the Blackhawks anymore. It's tough. Oh. He's, uh, that's true. And uh, whatever he chooses, um, whatever works best for him and his family, uh, congratulations. Stick around. Uh, I hope he enjoys the next step as well. Uh, that being said, to, stick around. I <laughs> want to cover it really, really quickly before we get too deep into the show. Sure. Um, IIHF World Women's Gold Final is today. Uh, it's Sunday the 16th. Wait, let me guess. USA versus Canada again. It is USA versus Canada. What a shock. <laughs> I know. It, it, it's never happened before. It may never happen again. It, it, it's, it, it, it's refreshing. It's a breath of fresh air. <laughs> I, I, I don't even know how you build a storyline other than the fact that, you know, there's so little provenance and history to this, to this there- matchup. Is there any rival? Is there any rivalry there at all? I mean, I'm not sure any of these players even know each other. 
that being said, it's that USA, being said, uh, yeah, I want to see. I, I I will probably make time to watch these this game tonight. I'm betting this is going to be on NHL Network. Yeah. Um, even if it's on, even if or it's on ESPN Plus, I'll probably throw it on. Oh yeah, no no no, I will definitely give it a watch. I mean, I I still have I still have this this vision that someday everybody's going to realize that women's hockey, women's ice hockey is just as good as men's ice hockey. <laughs> I enjoy watching it. They get physical. I could have swore the other day I saw a story about a bench clearing brawl in a women's hockey game, which I wish I could find it. And I went back to try and find it and I couldn't, but I know I saw it. I know it exists. Of course it does. Bench clearing brawl in a women's ice hockey game. Come on now. Got to find that story. I'm going to keep digging. I'll have it for next week. I'm Story. <laughs> Are you accusing me of fiction? <laughs> I am not accusing you of fiction. I am going to say that whatever is going on in this video uh, of the Florida Panthers. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, nice segue there, buddy. <laughs> in practice is indistinguishable from trolling. Is it is it trolling if you're not actually using the team name? I think that the Florida Panthers are <clears throat> everything in this video leads me to believe that they are trolling Boston, the Boston Bruins fans, the Boston Bruins roster ahead of the Stanley Cup playoff series. Bruins and Panthers are meeting in the first round. We all know what type of animal a Bruin is. We all know what you what it is you're not supposed to poke. And the question in this video, the entirely too innocently asked question in this video is, what type of animal could you beat in a fight? And we're talking professional athletes, some of the fittest men on the planet, and one of them says a puppy or maybe his golden doodle or something really small. No, that, that was that was Bobrovsky. He's got health issues anyway. So there is not, that. Um, I'm not surprised that he said he could beat a puppy. He did, however, say course, a bear first. He he did say a bear. And of course the video claims that they're talking about the entire animal kingdom. Oh yeah, yeah. I yeah. only heard like Three different animals. Three. I just say the entire animal kingdom is represented. Well, let's see. Three out of the ten people or twelve people that you talk to said one animal. A couple of them said dogs. A couple of them said um, uh, one said a giraffe or tried to get his buddy to say giraffe or because he's really tall and I don't know who that player was. He kept saying he's really tall and. He didn't know who he could take and oh, a giraffe. Yeah, I don't think all the animal kingdom was represented, but there was one animal that specifically got mentioned at least three times. More times than any other animal. Yes. And that was a bear. And. Or a bear cub. That was the other thing. Oh, yeah. That was even bear better. cub. Mm -hmm. Like, call me crazy. You won't be the first. Probably won't be the last. But there was a distinct part of me. That here's the trolling here. I mean, was it as well-developed as listening to 
the afternoon drive guys who are convinced that the Boston Bruins uh, couldn't hold the jock straps of some of the other teams to crack the 60 win uh, plateau. No, but again, most of these guys are like a third the age of those two guys. So I'm sorry, but surprising. Did they just crack the 60 win plateau or did they like obliterate it? Uh, obliterate. Uh, because I'm thinking, I'm thinking when yeah. you get to 61, 62, you've cracked it. When you get to 65, I think you've done a fair job of shattering it. Shatter, pulverize, obliterate all of those things. Yes. Yeah, so somebody uh, needs to recheck there. Can you not hear the trolling when you watch this video? Well, the fact that they're all laughing and giggling when they said bear, the, 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 the chuckleheads that actually said bear, they're all laughing and giggling and smiling, and they're having a good time, and that's what it is. It's practice. You know, you get focused. You have a good um, – yeah, I could see the trolling. I could feel it. Yeah. Does it sort of feel – orchestrated i think the whole question the whole situation i mean they do apparently it's something they do all year it's a segment they call mini mic and it's a tiny little microphone it looks like one of those 1970s ones that you know with the the all metal and but it's on a tinier scale yeah it looks like something that would be on an oversized barbie or american girl doll yeah sure Apparently they do this all season and they ask a question and the players give their answers. But to ask this pl- this question at this particular time of the year, it seems like the whole thing was orchestrated. The whole thing was set up, not just the answers. And, and that and, you know, you have to wonder if they specifically picked these players because they're part of the leadership cadre or if they are trying to be subtle and just <laughs> spread it out a little bit, but you can't, you're not going to convince me this isn't trolling. I, I'm, I'm a hundred percent convinced the Florida Panthers as an organization, as individuals, trolling Boston, trolling players, trolling the fans. Yes. But the real question is, is it going to have any effect? I mean, you saw the way the Bruins played this season. And granted, yes, regular season versus playoffs, totally different animal. I get all of that. I've been watching long enough. I've played, you know, I understand the whole concept. But is this really going to affect a team that never suffered a a losing streak longer than, what was it, three games? Maybe four, I think they hit Correct. four, maybe three games, I think. Um, the answer is had, I don't know. Had seven, had five seven five streaks of minimum seven wins first time it's been done in NHL. yet another record that this team broke uh i just i don't see that this is gonna bother i'm not worried about the guys i'm not worried about the top <laughs> players the core players bergeron marshan Krejci. not really worried even about like mcavoy or Grizzlick. But I think there's I think there's enough leadership on this team that it's not gonna that they're not gonna let the younger guys be affected by it. But you can't control how much those guys go on social media and see stuff like this, or turn on the NHL network and see stuff like this. Okay. Um. So it's it's gonna be there. It's gonna be. I'm sure that you know one or two of these guys have had someone text them this 
or you know send them a DM on whichever platform with this video because the Panthers put it right out there on their own Twitter account. They're not trying to hide this. This isn't like locker room. No, but that's this is right on their platform. This is their front porch. But that's the way I take it. This is locker room wall material. This is uh, we heard about it for years for the Patriots. You know, they always consider themselves, you know, somebody says something bad about them. They always said good things about the other team. And then they would take that bad stuff that the other team said, slap it on the wall and, and use it as as motivation. To me, that's what that's all this is, is like, OK, these guys seem to think that beating a bear is going to be, you know, they, they're capable of beating a bear. Let's show them how difficult it can be to actually beat down a bear. I mean, uh, that's to me, that's what it is. It's locker it's, room it's, material. And OK, now, are you trying to convince yourselves of this or are you trying to convince Boston of this? Because. You could be doing both. You could be doing either. Maybe you're just trying to distract yourself and keep your team from feeling nervous. But <laughs> do you really need to motivate the best team in hockey for the last eight months to do better? <laughs> like, are, are, are you trying to motivate them to beat you in three games instead of four? <laughs> yeah, I don't think you – I just like, don't know how smart it is to – make it, it, it you could have asked any other question you know and when you're talking about teams a team with guys with <clears throat> personality like Marchand and Bertuzzi and Hathaway do you actually want to get on the ice and just open your ears to the types of things that will fall out of their mouths if you've annoyed them hey. Do you really want to take a chance at getting licked? <laughs> For that matter, do you want to have to go drop the gloves against Trent Frederick or, you know, a.k.a. One Punch Man? I mean. <laughs> yeah, I, we never I did discuss the one shot. <laughs> I just don't get this. Like, as a move. I mean, if you're a, if it's a two three, a long time rivalry like the Rangers and Devils, yeah, sure, makes sense. But you're the Florida Panthers. You've been in the league how long and never won a cup? Didn't they want to come? I think they went to a cup final against Calgary, but oh, no, maybe, actually, maybe. I think they did win one once way back. They did. I think Ben Beesbrook was their goaltender. John but Van Beesbrook, former Ranger. There's not a player on that team that has deep playoff history in that jersey. I agree. I, 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 I This just seems ill-conceived. And yes. It makes me question the thinking behind it. Hashtag um, time to hunt. Mm, time to be hunted. Mm. Which... Brings us to the next the next item on the board. Um, looking at Twitter last night. Oh, oh, we have to talk about this. There, there's no way to avoid talking about this. Um, okay. I mean, it um, wasn't all the uh, the coaching carousel. Jeremy Rutherhood tweets out uh, some tweets from the Blues general manager. Or from quotes from the Blues general manager, Doug Armstrong. 
Uh, and this got me paying attention because it. I think that the, I think that it's a more important position on a good team than it is on a bad team. Um, but I don't know that you can build a good team without a re- at least reasonable captain. Um, Jeremy Rutherford tweets uh, about Armstrong's response to who the next captain of the team will be. And I'm going to read these quotes off of a couple of tweets at uh, JP Rutherford uh, on Twitter. It's something I want to deal with with Craig. Uh, it's something I want to deal with Craig on. It's something I thought about when Petrangelo left. What is the role of a captain? And is the role of captain in sport anymore? I don't know if there is. Continued. I think you have such a group dynamic and everything these guys deal with. I don't know if you need a C or if you need multiple A's to pull a team together. I also think that if you're a leader, you don't need a C. You're going to do that with your actions. Um, so it's is it a one-man job anymore? My inner circle is ex-players, and I've got to tap into these guys on what they think and we need to do on what we think we need to do. I also got to go to my Rolodex of guys that I've got a ton of respect for that are recently retired, Barrett Jackman, David Backus. Um, I haven't decided, uh, and that's on if the Blues will have a captain, but I'm saying there's certainly a possibility there couldn't be. I guarantee we won't be announcing one in the next few months. There's, like, in isolation, I think this is only weird. Like, I'm, I'm, I, I don't know of a time in my life that the job of captain has been done in isolation with no other voices in the locker room. Because you go back and listen to the, you listen to the on ice excitement and post cup uh, interviews of players, and they all talk about. I talked, you know, this guy helped, and this guy is such a leader, and this guy is a leader, and this guy is a leader. So it's not really ever been a one guy position. You go back to even the 2011 Bruins win, and Chara talked about. Recky and Bergeron and Krejci, and then you get deeper into the interviews as the weeks and months go on. And you had you had Tyler Sagan talking about Michael Ryder's leadership and how he helped keep him focused some days. And you talk you had Lynch talking about other players. It's never been a one man job. But, uh, no, but there's always that one dude who, when he speaks, everyone listens. Yes. Like I've said, even while Zodato Chara was a great captain for the Boston Bruins, that the emotional epicenter of the Boston Bruins, since he had that first big concussion, has been Patrice Bergeron. I have zero issues with Zodato Chara as a captain. None. But you look at the you look at the Chicago Blackhawks. They didn't accidentally win three cups in a couple of years. Well, three and six, but who's counting? Three and six years, and that's and having the roster gutted in between those wins each time. Like the the team that went on the ice after their first win 
was less than half the roster that that had finished the previous year. There were guys who were traded before the Cup parade. They won the well, Stanley Cup and then got rid of Anthony Niemi, who was their goaltender for the Stanley Cup. Yeah, they got rid of Niemi. They got rid of Buffman. <laughs> they got rid of uh, I think they got rid of Chris Versteeg. They got rid of like at least ten or twelve guys, and then they they had a slightly down year and they reloaded and they did it again. But guess what? Captain Sirius. Right there, leading the charge. But as um, as, it's, as we've said, or as you've said, and, and I'm going to slightly reiterate it, but if you look at any of the teams, whether it's the Blackhawks, and it's odd that the team, and I just thought of this, it's odd that the three teams that I thought of, or the four teams that I thought of, you look at basically from 2010 to 2020, and we're talking seven out of those ten years. For these teams, um, the Bruins, you look at the leadership on that team. It's definitely not a one man show. Uh, the Blackhawks, as you brought up, the other team that I thought of was you look at the Kings, Drew Absolutely. Doughty, Anze Kopitar, Dustin Brown. They didn't yep. all wear C's. They, they weren't all captain. But you I guarantee you, if one of those guys spoke in the locker room, every every ear was turned in, was tuned in to, to listen to what they had to say. And. It, Having that C, it's 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 a badge of honor. And I think it's a badge of accomplishment. And correct me if I'm wrong, uh, listeners and Chris, has there ever been in the I'll stretch the modern era all the way back to the '80s, even though I think that the the modern era, as I think of it, is the cap world, but is there has there ever been a Stanley Cup champion that didn't have a captain? I can't think of one. That being, but I can flip that around. If you if you think about when they when San Jose stripped the C off of Joe Thornton. Yep. Do you really think in the locker room it mattered whether he had a C on his chest or not? Not really. But I think that it's – I think that you oh, – I'm sorry, but – It depends it, on how good your locker room is because if you strip that C and you have mm, regressive or questionable elements, you are taking some legitimacy away from that person. The, the right players, the right players, assuming that the person wearing the C formally is useful in the role, yes. are probably still listening. But – to get a whole locker room, yeah, it's important. This is why you call someone a head coach, and you don't have a committee of coaches. This is why you have a I understand manager you. and not a committee of managers. The point is, Bergeron didn't have a C all those years, but as you just pointed out, was he instrumental in the locker room? Did people listen? Was he the emotional leader? Was he? Yes, but he didn't have a C on his chest. We had a captain. I get that. My first issue with all of this, before you even get into that, is the fact that they literally, the season ended three days ago. And how are you going to sit there and turn around and tell me or have a discussion about who's the captain? You haven't seen who you're going to have. You haven't been through the draft. You haven't started free agency. You haven't made any adjustments to the team. Any of the guys that you might be considering 
as a captain may not even be there. I mean, that's a great point because. And, and then there's one guy that you hope won't be there. Well, if, well, if you're we hope me. Won't be there. <laughs> if um, you're me, but, you hope you won't be, you won't be there. But, you know. <laughs> I mean, look at some of the you look at some of the free agents who are available. Admittedly, they have their cap strapped. But would you because they're the only ones experiencing. I would seriously consider if I'm in a, t- in a situation like the Blues, if I can get a hold of him, I would seriously consider putting a C on Dmitry Orlov if he came into my locker room. Yep. Why? Because he's been exactly what the Boston Bruins need. Oh my God! Seamless fits from the day he stepped on the ice wearing a spoopy. And he's put. Uh, no, I think he. he I, I think there was a little yeah. bit of little bit of Russian, a little bit of has, hazards in the first game, but that was about it. He hasn't played a very different game from the best games he played in a Washington uniform. He's just decided that he, or he's realized he can contribute more. And that realization is a level of leadership that some players never get to. Now, I don't I'm not a big fan of drafting a player and throwing the C on him before he's can grow a playoff beard. I just not a, not a big fan of Crosby. it. Maybe maybe they will pick someone up at the draft who is a future captain. But there's trades to be made this offseason. There's you and there's free agents to acquire. You might have that next C. And quite frankly, I'd put the C on Tory Krug and be happy about it. Some would say he hasn't been around the, the organization long enough, but he's in my no, no, no. Let me finish. I'm saying that I can see people saying that he hasn't been around the organization long enough. In my eyes, leadership is leadership. Yes, he's going to need the, the particular team to recognize him. I get that. But leadership is leadership. Chara wasn't always a Bruin. But he came in and he was named captain right off the bat. He leadership, was named captain basically when his contract was signed. Yeah. Yes. Leadership recognize. You know, leadership is recognized. This guy comes in here. He dom. He 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 dominates a room. He holds. You know. He holds court. That he. And yes, Chiarelli knew him from where else he's played. Uh, Ottawa. Mm. Yes. Yes. So made it a little bit easy because he recognized what Chara was capable of. But my goodness, yeah, you you can't just – if Tory Krug and, – and I like Tory Krug, I don't know what he's like in the locker room. But if they tell me that his his command of the locker room is such that he should be a captain, yeah, then absolutely throw a C on him. I, I Whether he's been there two years or one year or seven years or whatever – I just I, I can see people making the argument that he hasn't been around long enough and or whatever years, three years, including the covid times. I think that's enough time to be there, assuming you need for whatever reason to have a clock on it. Didn't Petrangelo um, wear the sea while he was there? Yes. So these tweets by themselves are a little weird. Mm hmm. Uh, these quotes. It's just, I just, the timing of it is what gets me. I just, it, it, the season just ended. Take a break. Take a, take a breath. I don't, there you go. see, I, I don't know that 
you're necessarily wrong to examine things while everything's fresh in your head. Maybe you don't make decisions while everything's fresh, you know, while you're still bleeding from the wounds, but you take stock. Then in the St. Louis post dispatch, an article by Jim (laughs) Thomas, we get to what I can only describe as an, a collection of thoughts that make me a just hear the words coming out of like concert level speakers fit to fill like the big house, get off my lawn. Um, and kids these days, like, well now, now we get the plea for get me out of town, please. Like between the tweets, the quotes in the tweet, and the quotes in the article, my very serious question as an owner, as a season ticket holder, would be, why is this guy still GM? Who, my first question would be, who's first to go, Armstrong or Bennington? <laughs> the fact, and and we'll get into that because, oh, I know he named, but in the in the article he names a bunch of important players, core players. Core players. Core. And he also, like, in one quote, he points out all of the problems with the article, with the, with the team. Then he points, uh, he points to a group of core players. Now, his uh, two of the assistant coaches on the team have been dismissed, Mike Van Ryn and Craig McTavish. I don't know that either one of that that's a change that's going to matter, but uh, as much as filling the roster. So, and then here's the, here's the list of players with Shen and Buchnevich and Saad, Kiru, uh, Thomas, Pareko, Falk, Letty, Krug, Bennington. I can't believe it's a total rebuild. Okay. Brandon Saad, no longer hockey young. Yeah, he's got Nick his Letty. cups with he's got his cups with um, Chicago. Nick Letty, not particularly hockey young. Uh, nope. Also played with Chicago. I mean, he's he's thirty two. He's not he's not going to he's not creaky or anything. But I didn't he, say to put him out to pasture. I'm just saying he's not hockey young anymore. Yeah, he's got 929 regular season NHL games and 130 playoff games under his belt. He's I'm pretty he's sure he's got a, the block I'm, from all angles. Pretty sure he's got a Stanley Cup with Chicago. Um, Tory Krug, even he's not hockey young anymore. I mean, he came into the league after a couple of years uh, in after a three or four seasons of college hockey. Um, but you know, you've got You've got Kira, you've got Bujnevich. Uh, those guys are 24, 27. Shen is 31. Thomas is 23. Justin Falk, 30. Brandon Sod's only 29. Tori Krug's 31. So, yeah. Wait, wait. Brandon Sod's only 29? I know. <laughs> it feels what like the he's, hell? Been in the league for, he's been in the league since 2011-12. He only played two games that season. But, yeah, he, he's been in the league over a decade. He's uh, 2011 draft. He just, 
I mean, he played for Chicago, then he played for Columbus, and then he went back to Chicago, and now in the Blues. Um, he it just feels like he's been in the league since Eisenhower was president. It's, um, it's funny because I read this paragraph, and the first thing I thought was um, an old Sesame Street jingle. One of these things is not like the other. Yes, exactly. And because then you I'm, get to now. You look at the you look at these guys. Uh, you talk about you know performance and what's going on. Kiru led the team in scoring. Buchnevich second. Braden mm-hmm. Shen third. Yeah. Robert Thomas fourth. Justin Falk fifth. Brandon Sud, and then Tori Krug. Toroshenko was gone uh, during yeah, the season. They, they moved him at the deadline. Yeah. But these are that's that's your top six in scoring. So it's not a bad core. Now, Vucinovic only played 63 games. Thomas only played 73. Mm-hmm. And Sad only played 71. Krug played 63. So there's some injury history that should be paid attention to. Uh-huh. So whatever you're looking at for acquisitions, health needs to be pretty close to the top. You're avoiding the elephant in the straitjacket, though. I mean, in the room. <laughs> I, uh, I, I think you misspoke. Uh, you, Allosaurus in the straitjacket. Allosaurus. Oh, okay. Um, Jordan Bennington. No. As we've discussed on the show at least once. No. He's ungood. <laughs> how did he? How did he get mixed in with this? With this group. Apparently, Armstrong recognizes him when he walks into the locker room. Uh, oh, okay. Well, he does wear the most pads, so I guess he's easily recognizable. But, you know, we talk about my one of my favorite uh, stats, and that's the quality starts and really bad starts. Uh, even in even in the playoffs, he's got a new goaltender. Jordan Bennington's not good. Like. Just not good. Yes. And for the team to succeed, for the team, for the players to believe that the team can succeed, Uh I can't imagine how he can stay there. And like, you look at the similarity scores for players. Matt Matt Murray is the most similar huge industry history injury history. And then you look at every other guy on the, uh, on the similarity score through the first six years. Mm -hmm. All of them played a decade or more ago when, you know, same percentages were much, much lower, much, much lower, way lower, like below 900. Yes, Just they like even this. they even mentioned stuff in one of the hockey in one of the last Bruins hockey games during an intermission. They were talking about, um, oh, was it Colby? Was it um, Colby Armstrong was talking about playing with um, Grant Fuhr and how Grant Fuhr had all these Stanley Cups yet his save percentage was below ninety, like in the eight eighties or something like that. And it's like totally different time yet somehow he still managed to. Because Edmonton would outscore their opponent, you know, 
goal score, the save percentages were much different back then. The goaltenders much different back then. I, I so it's okay. Odd that, in his last ninety eight um, regular season starts, he has a quality save percentage in like the four forties. Yeah, that's that's quality not, start percentage in the four forties. That that's bad not NHL good. goaltender is up to fifty percent. Like there's that's as the article starts off, is this an aberration or a trend? In his case, it's a trend. In it's, his it's, case, it's a trend. So are you telling me that been trend that started down? It started reasonably good in his first half season where he had the hot run of a career and has gone straight downhill every year since. Yeah. Are you telling me he's not worth six million dollars a year? Um, I no, I'm not. That was called that. I'm saying the numbers do not support it. That was called a softball. <laughs> um. Now here's here's the issues. Quote: There are, there are too many practices where we would not shoot enough, we would miss the net in our shot attempts, or we would overpass it. Quote: The next drill would go on, and the same thing would happen, and then next, and we go 14 or 15 minutes in a game with no shots on nets. And we're going, geez, how did this happen? Or our defensive zone coverage. We would practice it, and there'd be no competitive nature in our practice in front of the net. We would give up scoring opportunities in practice, and it's just acceptance. Okay, Um, I'm going to say something here, and it kind of goes along with the fact that you only fired the assistants, but why is Craig Berube still have a job if those are your issues? Okay, You've said this a thousand times in defense of coaches, and I'm going to say it for you. Thank you. You can't fire the whole roster, um, but you can fire the coach. In this case. This is a Craig Berube problem. This is a Doug Armstrong problem. Because if you can see that happening all year long and do nothing about it. Yeah, well, that's a resume-generating event, yes. This article is a resume-generating event. Like... I, I don't what I don't get is you recognize that you, you see these issues, but you do nothing about them. Yes. Then you turn around and you make statements like. Um, uh, it's my job to get it or get out. That's my summer project is to work with people to find out how do you get to these guys? What makes them tick? Uh, he's, he's talking he's, about. The he's, players, like they're a completely foreign species. Like he's saying, he's out of touch. He's he's practically he's, admitting that he's out of oh, touch openly. Like, I I get I get the whole, but the thing is, is he's not only saying he's out of touch. Yeah, well, he's he, when he says, "I only know what my father taught me." Oh yeah, cuffed upside the head. You know what, my dad used to. Eight years old, dude. Eight <laughs> years old. Yep. And you're sounding like you're sounding like there's no other way to learn anything anymore than from the than with the people who you live with in a one room shack that doesn't have electricity, indoor plumbing or insulation. Wait, can't teach an old dog new tricks. (laughs) It it appears that way. Well, he says it's right here in black and white. Armstrong said he, quote, doesn't get it anymore when it comes to understanding the young hockey player. 
black and white. It's right there. Okay. Armstrong said. Yes. <laughs> and here's here's the here's the laughable part. He added with a laugh, "It's a good summer project for an old man." He's fifty-eight. Dude, at fifty-eight, if you consider yourself an old man, take your money and retire. Because you're not fit to do the job anymore. Maybe you only need a vacation. Maybe you need to take a year off as a general manager and land someplace else. But you've been in the job 12 years. You, quite frankly, locked into a Stanley Cup or you wouldn't still be there. I'm not saying the players didn't work their behinds off. I'm not saying that your coach didn't didn't show up with the golden shovel to rescue you and score with and outcoach the other dude. I'm still saying you got lucky. Uh, well, it's his own fault if he wants to start blaming players that are or aren't there because you're the one that got rid of Tarasenko. You're the one that traded Ryan O'Reilly. You're the one that has, didn't well, do anything to bring in. You You pretty much went into sell mode. You well, got nobody else to blame here, dude. In, in the and let's I mean even going back to looking at the Tarasenko situation, Tarasenko had his had had his shoulder operated on two years in a row by a hack who failed to do anything to make it better. Two summers in a row. Like yep. that's that's not a big that's not a red flag. That's like a neon strobe light the size of Wembley Stadium. Um, and he's using like the example that is, uh, of is given, you know, player getting 18 minutes of time of ice time in a game, but having a strong 18 second shift that makes it to YouTube and gets a million likes and thinks that was a good night. Number one, I'm pretty sure that there are no 18 second clips from the St. Louis blues that have ever gotten a million likes on any single platform Two, anyone paying attention to the last 15 years or at least the last five would probably say TikTok or Instagram or maybe Twitter. Like he literally isn't getting it. And quite frankly, if you can't, if you can see this issue and not say, look, the math says if you score a highlight real goal, but you're directly responsible for giving up three bad, making three turnovers that lead to goals for the other side. You had a bad night. If you can't explain that or don't get the concept well enough to have it in your head to let this I'm, article I'm, content out of your mouth. I'm just going to put a tiny little bow on it. It's not even time for a timeout, dude. Nope. Take your uh, take your uh, gold watch and hit the links. Like, come back in twenty five years. Uh, we'll uh, we'll we'll buy you some popcorn then. Tiny little bow Armstrong actually gives us the answer in this article. <clears throat> Quote: Expectations were higher, goals weren't met. It starts with the general manager not obviously bringing in the right bringing the right players in the right support staff in my job now is to take the time to evaluate where we're at, where our players are at individually, where they are collectively, blah, blah, blah. Um, right there. 
it starts with the general manager, the GM saying this. Either this is a cry for help that he just wants out and he can't bring himself to to use the phrase I resign. Maybe he's hoping to collect because if you quit, you don't get to collect. But if you are fired, you do. I don't know, but there's something about this story that just makes it it's like a a cry for help. Like he doesn't he feels like he can't get out or something and he's hoping somebody will help him get out. Vote of no confidence uh, in (laughs) parliamentary uh, democracies. Wait, did the did the owner give him the dreaded vote of confidence? No, but like if the if you actually asked most of the players or at least the season ticket holders to read this article, that group of tweets, and then vote on whether he should still have a job, pretty sure I know how that would come out. Pretty sure Speaking I know. I'm pretty sure uh, how I know that would come out. Um, yeah. And honestly, this one I'm a little bit less sure on, and by that I mean still high 90% certainty. I did put out a tweet uh, as we were kicking off the show. You'll find it on my profile and probably in the uh, show description today. Um, Among the coaches let go was Peter Peter Laviolette. Um, Simple question, will Peter Laviolette still be unemployed uh, on July 1st this year? Um, Very easy poll, yes or no. and so how, that, how did you actually word the question? Because how the question is worded is going to. Will Peter Laviolette be unemployed until July 1? Until July 1. I already know my answer. Yeah, I I am surprised at the first uh, handful of votes. <laughs> um. That said, we can go into we mentioned that Mike Van Ryn uh, and Craig McTavish were let go from the Blues. Dallas Eakins. Mike Van Ryn? That Mike Van Ryn? I don't remember, but probably. Dallas Eakins was let go from the Ducks. He remembers Milan really well, so. (laughs) He may not remember Milan very well. He may not look with him look look upon him favorably, but he remembers who Milan is. <laughs> Dallas Eakins, I'm not surprised at this. He's been there for four years, but again, this is one of those times where I say, is it really the coach's fault? I don't know. I I think I see that team do good things. Like, it's hard not to do good things when you have Troy Terry on the ice. They've done dumb things like give away Shea Theodore. Like, um, dumb things. That, <laughs> I mean, when you have Troy Terry and uh, Trevor Zegras on your roster, it's pretty hard not to do some pretty nice stuff. And I but like even that. there... You're talking about the two best players on the team who I don't think have hit the peak of their powers yet. Have you looked at their point totals yet or recently? Have I looked at their point totals yet, like individual player point totals? Yes, for Terry and Zegers. I have not, not recently, no. Okay. Where do you think they finished the um, four points totals? Just give me like a a bracket for 
by uh, by tens. Is it did they finish like 110 points in the 110s? Did they finish in the hundreds? They oh, you want 90s, their points? 80s, 70s, 60s, um, 50s, whatever. Trevor Zegers, um, 87 points. Troy Terry, 74. Nope, and nope. Okay. Zegers, 65. Troy Terry, 61. Wow. I gave them more credit than they deserved. And I think that's. I think that comes down to support. Um, I think it more importantly comes down to a defense that <clears throat> struggles to get the puck out of its own zone. Because um, you look at their, you look at the goals against average of their the three goalies who played, four goalies who played this year, one of whom only played one game, but three sixty six, three seventy eight, and three ninety nine. That's uh, significantly ungood. Significantly. Yes. I mean, this is not a league where, on average, teams score four goals a night. There's one or two teams, but no, across the league, no. It's a three gay, it's a three goal a night league. Um, Outside of Cam Fowler, they don't have any good defensemen. And yes, I recognize that Kevin Shattenkirk plays on that team, but again, I reiterate: outside of Cam Fowler, this team doesn't have any good defensemen. I'm willing to go to bat for John Klingberg. I don't know that he's a great defensive defenseman, um, and he didn't finish the season I, there. Okay, maybe I played it wrong uh, because, first of all, they traded Klingberg uh, to Minnesota. Um, Jamie Drysdale was finished the season on injured reserve. Jamie Drysdale actually is not what I said is not fair to Jamie Drysdale, but you know because Jamie is going to be a good defenseman. And, and I just I don't see they need this team needs what is that that term we like to use nuclear blow up. Um. They need uh, they need yeah. the earth shattering kaboom. Earth shattering kaboom. That's the one I was looking for. I'm sorry. I, yes, you need to hang on to guys like you need to hang on to guys. Obviously, they got a lot of youth on this team. You need to hang on to the Troy Terry's. Get rid of everyone over the age of 25. Something like that. And I feel deeply hurt for for John Gibson. It's entirely not fair to him that he gets abused the way he does in, in Anaheim. I just I don't I don't think it was Eakin's fault. I mean, I understand, you know, first of all, Verbeek is barely over a year in the job as GM. I'm surprised that he didn't make the change when he took over at the end of last season. I mean, okay, so here's a real, real, real question. Yeah. Is was he conspired this year because he didn't do a good enough job or because the GM wanted his own guy in there? Well, easiest way to answer that is. And I can't look it up at this moment now, unfortunately, because it doesn't show him on the on the page anymore. But was his contract up this year? Or did he I more, don't know it, that. That's what I'm saying. I don't know how. I don't know if he had more term on his contract, but 
I'm going to go with there was significant not improvement over the season before. And Verbeek decided that when he took over last year, instead of rocking the boat and making all kinds of changes, because he took over in like February, as far as I know. That sounds about right. Yes, yes February 3rd. So he's been there a year and two months as GM. So you don't you didn't want to swap out the coaches through the year, even though they weren't a great team, you know, but you give him one more season, you see how he does, the team doesn't improve. All right, now it's time to make the move. I think that this is just Pat I think this is more Pat Verbeek getting his own guy in, whoever that may be. And then having a working relationship between himself and the head coach that he's handpicked. So that's my personal opinion, because I honestly don't know how you blame Eakins for. I mean, you play the cards you're dealt and and he's got a lot of he's got a lot of good young fives and sixes. He's got a lot of good young cards, uh, players, but. I don't it, it just there's no defense on that team. It's uh, atrocious. Yes, Klingberg was brought in and uh, and that's fine. But they traded away Lindholm because they were sellers last year. Yeah, you know, they and, I mean, my one of my issues is yeah, they had they had three defensemen on the injured reserve to end the year. Yeah. And I don't I mean, one of them is John Moore, so that's not necessarily a loss. <laughs> Supposition um, by subtraction. Wait a minute. <laughs> but when you come right down to it, that's a big deal. I mean, Uka, uh, Erho Vakaninen, Jamie Drysdale, John Moore. Even though they're you're you had to secret at least partly be hoping to end up where they did, which is in the thirty second spot, because it gives them a shot at Bedard. Uh, as much as as much as Bedard is going to be a huge talent coming into the league, Bedard is not going to be the answer. Not straight away. That said, if they do win the draft lottery and they take him, yes, they can trade pieces out and get more of what they're looking for. And that's fine. I get that. Now, and we'll talk more about this later because I do want to at least take a crack at looking at all of the uh, playoff first rounds. Oh, we haven't even touched those yet. Yeah. Um. All right. Fair enough. Yeah, we'll 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 move on at this point. Um, yeah. I also let go, and this is probably the most unfair if you can describe them, any of them at, this way. Brad Larson was let go. Yeah, I'm not understanding this one. I mean, that entire team was a mash unit this year. It started in the preseason and went all year. Not understanding this one at all because A, mash unit. B, um, if I'm not mistaken, first year as head coach because, oh, wait, Tortorella was there. So you gave him one year. Technically, he had two years as head coach. Um, 
he had been the assistant coach for the previous several seasons. And yeah, he won 12 last games than he did the previous oh, wait. year. My apologies. He signed his contract. He signed his contract in 2021. For some reason, I thought he signed it last but, year. But okay, so a year and a half. I still. I only played 50, 55 games. Well, there, yeah, that was the 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 yeah, joke season. Um, no, 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 this year, this year, he only played fifty five games. Oh, okay. Boone Jenner only played sixty eight games. I like Boone Jenner. Uh, Kiro Marchenko, uh, fifty nine games. Uh, Adam Boquist, forty six. Um, and then you get to the guy Zach Wierenski only played thirteen games this year. Jacob Voracek only played eleven games this year. Um, Lane Patterson only played 16 games this year. Um, the goaltending crease. They had, they had, they played six different goaltenders this year. And that's, you're actually touching on what I was about to say or what I was getting ready to going to say when I had a chance. It's not just that they got rid of Larson. They also got rid of many legacy. Now, whether he's a good coach, bad coach, that's not. I'm not. I'm not here to debate whether he's good, bad, or indifferent. The fact is, you got rid of the head coach. You didn't say anything about the assistant coaches, but you are not renewing the contract of the goaltending coach. This is a guy who had to deal with six different goaltenders and a myriad of styles. And again, you're turning around, and you had one decent defenseman in front of him and. And Wierenski got hurt, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, he was hurt. He played all of 13 games. And don't forget that they also had a goaltender pass away over the summer. Uh, yeah, the, the, the other kid. I can't remember his name. Relevant right at the moment. But that's that's a huge. I'm sorry. I just. Yeah, I don't get this one at all. Unless there are some players who uh, – multiple players at the top end of the roster who said, I am I need to be gone or he needs to be gone. I don't get it. Like, given the injury history and the thin roster here – thin, and I'm, I'm being generous – and everyone's expectations, even allowing for those injured players to be healthy – this was still a lottery team, even if Wierenski and Voracek and everyone had been healthy all year. By the, by the way, I think Legacy knows something about goaltending. In 11 seasons, he had 187 wins, 99 losses, goals against of 2.41, a little elevated, okay. 9.12 save percentage, not stellar, but uh, go back and look at the average. It's eh. 24 shutouts in 365 games. This is a guy who knows how to play the position. Yeah. And he's played I, on and competitive teams and, and you got rid of him and you got rid of Brad. Employed again soon. I, I think Brad Larson may end up with another stint as an assistant before he gets. Yeah. I don't, yeah. I don't think he's going right back into a head coaching position. Unfortunately, I think he's going to end up having to be a, and even, even Montgomery did it after his exit from Dallas. He went and he was the assistant in New York. Was it the Rangers? I, I don't remember, but something like that. He was an assistant. But, oh, no, St. Louis. My apologies. He was an assistant in St. Louis 
before he got the head coaching. So, yeah, I think Larson's going to be, unfortunately, taking a step back for a season or two before he takes another head coaching gig. Uh, yeah, I mean, he may end up as an AHL head coach for a year or two, but... Um, I, I, some years, you know, you say, yep, that coach deserves it. Um, I, I, deserve still, it. I, I still suspect that we're going to see four or five coaches get bounced after the playoffs or after their team's <laughs> playoffs. Uh, Sheldon? If they don't, if they don't hoist the cup, uh, there may be a new broom applied to that front office. Sheldon? By Sheldon Keefe and uh, and his his general manager uh, at the moment, Kyle. <clears throat> um, let's let's dive into a quick look at each uh, playoff series, and we do have to be quick because we are running uh, okay. we're running a pretty heavy. Okay. Um. So, question is, who needs to perform for each team to win? their first round matchup. Not necessarily who has to be the best, but who has to actually show up and perform. Uh, we'll start local. I It's really simple for me. Um, for the Florida Panthers, it's the combination of their defense and goaltending. I think their forwards can get it done. Um, they've got a nice mix of smooth... Uh, smooth players, physical aggression. Uh, they just need to get it done. Um, on the back end, uh, for the Bruins, coil line, I think that that's going to be the pivot point of the entire series. Coil line is... Uh, I, I, I think the coil line is going to be imperative, not just in this area. I think the coil line is going to be huge. It needs to be huge or continue their play as they have done all season. Yes. Throughout the playoffs. I don't think and it's, it's going to be interesting to see what the configuration of it is. Is it going to be what I termed the paint job line uh, early in the year with Hall, uh, Coyle and Frederick? Is it going to end up being Bertuzzi, Coyle and Frederick? Bertuzzi, Coyle and Hall. Nice problem for Montgomery to have. <laughs> Um, I mean, if, I mean, if no set gets injured or, or there's another injury on the fourth line, I can, you can make the case that putting Frederick back at the four C spot makes some sense. Um, because you can pull him into power plays. You can pull him into spot play when one of the other two has taken a penalty, um, I don't know what it's going to look like. I'll let Montgomery make it, uh, make that choice, but uh, it's going to be fascinating to see. I think the performer for me for Florida, it's got to be the goaltending. Somebody's yep. got to step up. Alex Lyon is doing what he can because Bobrovsky hasn't, basically. And for the most part, you look at you look at Lions' last five games, and unfortunately, the last game of the season there against Carolina, not so good. But Toronto, nine twenty save percentage. Washington, nine seventeen. 
by the way, gave up two goals, two goals. April 6th against Ottawa, two goals, 966 save percentage. Buffalo on April 4th, one goal, 975 save percentage. I mean, Alex Lyon is holding it together with bailing wire. That's the numbers that you should be expecting from your $10 million goaltender. You know, that Bobrovsky guy that you're paying through the nose for that can't show up and has a <clears throat> in his lot. And he hasn't played since what? March, late March. Is he out injured still? Or is he back and just, I have no good? idea. Right. I, his goals against this year, 3.07 with a 901 save percentage. I'm sorry, not good enough for $10 million. That's the thing. He hasn't been good his entire time in, in Florida. That's the that's the key, right? That that's that's my key to this series for them. And should they make it past going forward, is their goaltending is atrocious, except for Alex Lyon, who nobody seems to want to admit that he's any good. Okay. Um. Okay. And <laughs> for the for the Leafs and Bolts. Ugh, I have exactly three words to answer both teams. Really? Goaltending, goaltending, goaltending. Vasilevsky mm-hmm. has been mortal this year. I yes. think he was mortal last year. Well, I think three I think three years in a row of deep playoff runs is catching up to him a little bit. But there's also a much much less deep team in front of him than when they won that first cup or the second cup. Like this team is not anywhere near as good as those two cup winners. It's not a terrible team, but in order for them to actually win, it's going to come down either team. It's going to come down to the crease. I mean, unless one of their players goes off, one of their forwards or goes off and has a 10 goal series, which admittedly is more possible than not in this in this particular series. There's well, a lot of there's a lot of goals to be scored in this series. The key for me is just yes, defense, defense, defense. There, there's a lot of goals between the firepower on <laughs> the firepower on both teams. Kucherov, Stamkos, uh, Braden Point. Uh, uh, <laughs> Uh, Killorn, somehow, he always seems to be scoring in the playoffs. On the other side, Matthews, Marner, Nylander, Tavares, uh, Ryan O'Reilly's got the playoff experience. There's a lot of goals to be scored. Who's going to stop them? As you said, goaltending, I say defense, one and the same at this point. Who's going to stop them? Yeah. Um... Islanders and Canes, uh, people are going to want to throw rotten tomatoes at me for my Canes pick. <laughs> okay. Um, and I don't care. Um, Fair enough. The Islanders, you know, mm-hmm. when you look at their scoring and they are wildly unbalanced, wildly. So uh, it's everyone outside their top three. I mean, these two teams are pretty similar. Uh, the Canes are a little bit better balanced offensively, but not hugely. Um, 
and it's literally everyone outside their top three for for uh, for scoring. And for the Canes, I thought. Oh, I thought that's who you just said. No, no, no. Uh, that was for the Islanders. Everyone okay. outside the top three. Literally outside top three. Everyone yeah. outside their top three scores. But the two teams are identical. You could almost make the. You could almost flip it and change the name I'm going to give you for the Canes. Um, to the equivalent name for the Islanders. For the Canes, it's Rod Brindamore. He needs to go from being a slightly better than average coach, which is what we've seen from him so far, to a playoff winning coach who outmaneuvers his opponent. He needs to be the guy because the the roster doesn't have that guy. Fair enough. I'm looking at for the Islanders, my key would be or the key the key performers have to be everybody not named Ilya Sorokin. And yes, it's a cop out. I don't care. Sorokin has held that team together. They've done some good. They've, they've done some good things. They brought in uh, Mr. Besser. They've done. But Sorokin has put that team on his shoulders. So, as you said, outside of the top three scores, that's fine. But everybody needs to perform. And you can't. You can't allow Sorokin to carry you another 16 wins. You have to give him some help. And yeah. I like their defense. I like Mayfield. I like they, they've still got the. Um, the heck is his name? Why can I never remember their names when I want to? The defense. Yeah. OK. Uh, For the Islanders? Yes. Oh, you've got Pollock and Pellick. Uh, yeah, those got- two. Thank you. Pollock and Pellick. Yes. Especially Pollock. It, offensively, yeah, you've got some goal. You got some scoring depth. Maybe not beyond the first line, but okay, fine, show up. It's got to be everybody not named Sorokin on that team. And as far as the Hurricanes go, uh, I could be cruel and make some kind of comment about Brent Burns playing defense for them, but. Brent Burns actually playing defense like he's that's, occasionally he's occasionally shown us in the past. That's like low hanging large, fruit, long way towards helping them. That's like low hanging fruit. So I won't take a shot at, at him. Is it even hanging anymore? <laughs> I think Frederick Anderson needs to not be worse than his backup. And granted, his backup is Auntie Ranta, who's been a starter in his own right. And between the two of them, they didn't even play a full season because they both at some point were hurt. But I think Anderson needs to step up here. Fair deal. Um, for the Rangers and the Devils, uh, I'm going to actually start with the Devils. Oh. Um, they have gotten phenomenal play out of their youngsters this year. Like, no one, no one, no one expected them to be this good. But yeah, no, that's true. In order for them to win the first round, and I think that they can, 
They need their playoff veteran players. They're Andre Palats, even their Curtis Lazars, uh, their John Marinos, to set the tone. Yes, Nico Heischer is your captain, but Nico Heischer does not have anywhere near the playoff experience of of uh, Andre Palat or even Curtis Lazar. He's played five playoff games back in the 17-18 season and had one goal. That's wow. it. Hey. And, you know, both Hughes brothers and Jesper Bratt, they probably have about the same. Well, both Hughes brothers have no playoff experience. Um, Jesper Bratt has one playoff game to his to his credit. Um, versus, you know, Andre Pallad, who's got to have, yeah, he has 138 playoff games and a couple or two in there. You can't not play that. You can't not rely on them to a certain extent. And for the Devils, absolutely, Mika Zibanejad has to be consistent in the playoffs like he has been the regular season this year. That's always been my knock against him is that he's had these hot streaks and then been somewhere around absolute zero for a a couple of weeks. And this year he's been much, much more consistent. Um, And Panarin needs to just dial it in. He had those rough games where he was overpassing to Patrick Kane uh, right after the deadline. Uh, they just both need to be consistent. I don't think either one of them needs to have four hat tricks uh, to, for the Rangers to win the first round. But I think that they just have to be consistent. If one of them manages to get a goal every single night in the series, I think that they have a, a solid shot at winning. So now it's my turn to take the tomatoes? Okay. Because I'm going to totally use a cop-out, which I think isn't really a cop-out here, but this matchup comes down to two people. Two. Lindy Ruff and Gerard Gallant. These two teams are both offensively gifted. Two teams both have uh, if I had to give defense an edge, it would be to the Rangers just because oh, easily uh, goaltending edge to the Rangers, uh, just because I don't know what to expect from Blackwood. I don't know what to expect from Vanacek. They've, they've been good at times. McKenzie just can't seem to stay consistent. Uh, I don't know if they're going to play a Kara Schmidt or not. I don't know if he's, you know, or, or what they're going to do, but this comes that this is going to come down to who can make the adjustments, who can uh, who can get the matchups right, and for that it's going to come down to Lindy Ruff against Gerard Gallant. And Gallant's been there; he went to the final with Vegas. Obviously, we know that Lindy Ruff has been around for a while. I don't know how many playoff games he has under his belt, but you've been around long enough. I know he's been to the playoffs. Don't forget, he was part of that marvelous toe in the crease series against Dallas. Yes. Years ago. That's right. Yes. 
I'm sorry, but th- this is going to come down to which one of those two guys can manage their team to the because they're both going to score their goals. Jack Hughes is is I mean finished the season ah oh, just missing the hundred point mark. Yep. I mean seriously, ninety nine points just missed it. Um, actually, his brother played is not and not that I'm expecting he's going to show up for the playoffs, but. He, he could get thrown in there. Played in two NHL games, Luke Hughes, when he signed his entry level out of Michigan. Two games, two points, goal and an assist. <laughs> yeah. And um, by the way, it was a game winner. Just saying. Uh, they've got your favorite guy in Jesper Bratt. They've got Sharon Govich, who has been a Bruins killer. They've got guys who can put the pucks in the net. They've got grit. They've got playoff experience with Palat. Then John Marino coming over from, from Pittsburgh. You bring in Timo Meyer in, you know, 14 points in 21 games. Not bad getting acclimated to a new team. You know, two-thirds of a point per game when you just join in the guys and trying to generate some kind of, of – it's going to come down to those two head coaches. Because there's just I, I I think the goal scoring I think there's a little bit more goal scoring on on the Devils, but I think that the defense and the goaltending evens that out. So it's going to be the intangibles and the coaching that makes a difference. That's fair. Uh, let's look at the West. Yes. Um. Oh God, where's? Okay. Uh, Squishy. First one. The defending, the reigning and defending Stanley Cup champions versus the second year Seattle Kraken. Wow. Um, on paper, this shouldn't be a serious matchup. Really? Because Colorado has gotten almost all of their roster healthy. Okay. Um, and I mean, if you're looking. If you're looking for a blowout to happen in the first round, it might be this one. You realize there's only nine points separating the two teams, right? I did say on paper. Okay. Uh, the only guy that the that has not been returned to action uh, for the for the for the champs is Landis Gog, and if he were, that's enormous. But I haven't. I didn't get a chance to check to check on his status, but. I haven't heard anything about it, and it would be news. Um, Who had more regulation overtime wins? I don't have the stats up in front of me, but I'm assuming you're going to tell me it's Seattle. It is, 46 to 45. Regulation wins, Seattle, 37 to 36. Um, Yes, Colorado's had a higher points percentage at 665. Seattle's at 6.10. Um. I mean, Seattle did score more goals, but Seattle uh, has scored more goals. Unfortunately, they gave up 30 more goals as well. Yeah. Um, And that's the key. Uh, And then you look at the power plays. Home and away records are fairly close. Colorado's power play was at 24 and a half percent, despite all of their injuries this year. Um, Seattle's was at 19.8. That's, that's a difference. Um, 
and you look at the PK, uh, neither one of them had a spectacular penalty kill this year. Um, there is only one major difference between these two. Lots and lots of playoff experience. Yeah, boy. <laughs> and one of them has one of the arguably one of the three best play well, best offensive players in the league on their team. JT Comper. Wow. <laughs> I know. I was thinking Kale McC- No, I wasn't actually thinking Kale McCarr, but Kale McCarr, um, another one. Nathan McKinnon. Nico uh, yeah, that guy. Um, it, it, it might be him. It might be. It might be. I think. Um, yeah. For me. For me, I'm not. We're not making predictions because why bother? Um, although I will predict <laughs> Colorado. Um, Gee, didn't see that one coming. No, I'm I'm really hard to read sometimes. I don't think this is a walk. So I think in order, I mean, for this one. Yeah, I think this team just. Okay, I'm going to throw it all at the captain, even though he's not on the ice. I'm saying that Landis Gog and the other guys wearing letters. Mm-hmm. Have to just keep the team's head screwed on straight uh, for them to win. Okay. Like, not even not even points total goals or margins. Just keep the team moving forward at pace. That's it. Uh, for Seattle, look, this has been a wonderful story. Okay. Because did you predict this team was winning was making the playoffs this year? No, I certainly didn't predict it. Um, some people are going to think this is a cop out. I don't know that it is. Um, the two guys for me who need to do the who need to uh, do the thing. Yeah. Vince Dunn and Jordan Everly. Jordan Everly was drafted high to be that guy. Vince Dunn has been part of a, of a cup win. Yep. I think between the two of them, they have to be the straw that stirs the drink in order for this team to win the first round. Um, and I can't, I can't like, even help you out with that one. I mean, for Col- for for Colorado, it, the key is going to be. <laughs> the key is going to be staying healthy. You got everybody back. You, I mean, it, it, it's a nice thing. It's a nice feeling. It's a nice thing to have. It, but yes, maintaining. I think the, the. I think you're absolutely right. The guys with the letters need to maintain. And in Seattle's case, the. Well, since you added, I guess we could say three most important. I had two different people. One for similar reasons, and one for. Um, another one who's been part of Stanley Cup wins, Yanni Gord. Okay, I get that. I like him. Yanni Gord, you bring him in. He was third line center over in, uh, you know, a little city of Tampa Bay where they won a couple of cups. Um, so having that playoff experience is certainly going to be key. But honestly, with Seattle, it falls on Hextall. Hextall has got to somehow keep this team believing 
that they belong. They can't get. They can't let the moment get too big for them. They can't just be happy to be there. Exactly. You need the head coach to to not to be not just the head coach. He needs to be head cheerleader as well. He needs to let them know that they're they're not just. We're not. This isn't a participation trophy. You, you're you're playing for the Stanley Cup. Yes, it's a dream. But suddenly, when you get there, you know, deer in the headlights. You're up against the team that won it last year, that that perennial playoff team. And yes, you've got a bunch of guys on the team who have been there at some point. I'm assuming. I mean, yes, Everly been there. You know, Schwartz, Burakovsky, Burakovsky. Did he win the cup with? Um, did he win a cup with Washington when they beat um, Vegas? Was he there? I, think he was. I, I don't remember. But uh, but the names that are on here have come from there's a, there's a decent amount of playoff experience for a team that's only two years old. Hextall just needs to keep them focused. This is if, you know if Hextall can make this a six or longer game series, I am very impressed. I'm not saying they're going to win it. I'm just saying in order for them to, you got to be more than just show up and, and collect your participation trophy. You need him to, to keep you, keep the team focused. You need him to keep them pointed in the right direction. Maybe you put the blinders on so that you can't see all the glitz and glamor around it because you, you're in the playoffs. Um, That's okay. my take. Um, for you, Dallas and Minnesota. Okay, Dallas and Minnesota. Hmm. Uh, for Dallas, for me, I think it comes down to – I don't even know who I, – I honestly, I don't know who I can count on on this team to be second-round great. That – that that may sound like a shot. Jason it's Hose. not. Um, but looking looking at this looking at the team, there are guys who have played. Re- there are some guys on this team who have had a fantastic, fantastic regular season. Jason Robertson, obviously. Jamie Ben, obviously. Joe Pavelski, duh. Um, even Rupe Hints, Miro Heiskinen. I think the guys who are, they got you know what, talent. I'm going to say something I never, ever thought I would say. I'm just going to come out and say it. Tyler Sagan has to be a leader in this series. He has to look at Wyatt Johnson and Mason Marshment and Ty DeLandria and say, in the Stanley Cup playoffs, we do it this way to win. And then he has to do it himself. He is not the player he was five years ago. He, but he needs to embody the leaders he had in that 2011 cup run with the Bruins. He needs to be as close as he can be to a Zidane Chara or a Patrice Bergeron or even the guy he named a mentor later, Michael Ryder. He, because Sorry, that slipped out. <laughs> because look, Pavelski has not won a cup. Jamie Ben has not won a cup. Jason Robertson has not won a cup. Rube Hints has not won a cup. Miro Heiskin has not won a cup. 
Wyatt Johnson, Mason Marchment, Ryan Suter, Esselindel. If Colin Miller won a cup, I don't care because I can't see him being a useful contributor. Um, Radic Vasca, the rest of the lineup, no. Tyler Sagan has to be – he has to be a lever to lift up the players around him, period. That being said – That being said, on the Minnesota side – Mm-hmm. I'm I'm just going to say that the defense has to produce some offense. Yes. Goligoski and Brodeen and Dumba and Klingberg and the rest of the crew, they need to help score. So they need to because score more than five goals. The, they don't have the depth. Um they don't have the flashy depth that the other teams have. If Dallas manages to squish Caprice off and hold them to, you know, two goals in the series, whether it's a four game series or a seven game series, where else are those goals coming from? I mean, Boldy, a. What's a, he 22? Yeah, he's, he's, he's now 128 games into his NHL career. Is he going to be the guy to take you to the promised land all by himself? Probably not. He would be nice to believe. Oh, yeah. And, and I'm not saying he shouldn't believe it. He should he should have that in his head. That I can be the guy I and, you know, I can do this, I can do that. He That should be in his head. I absolutely agree. But, but it shouldn't be the anchor around his neck. No. Yeah. And I get that. And, that, and that's a hard balance to strike, too. Like, I, it, it to me, it needs to be that six or seven man unit on the blue line. Get the puck out of your own zone as quick as possible. Take advantage of the fact that while the Dallas Stars stars are still pretty quick, Tyler Sagan, Jamie Ben, not so much anymore. Work around them. You? Uh, well, Minnesota. I'm going to start with them only because it, I had a different take on it, but right idea. So, yes, defense. I want to see, and I think that fully capable of, even if he's the backup and sitting on the bench, I think that Mark Andre Fleury can be a big influence on this. He's got cup wins. It, goes to the final with Vegas in their inaugural season. He knows what it takes. I don't know how much of a, he strikes me as somebody who's not afraid to speak up, but he needs to take some kind of ownership in that locker room. And yes, the defense needs to help out scoring. I'm sorry, but when you score five goals in eight playoff games, you're not getting it done. Wasn't that, that was their thing a year or two ago. Yeah. First round exit or, or, they scored five goals in in seven games or something like that. Ridiculous. Not going to happen. You 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 need to activate the D. As far as Dallas is concerned, all that talent, all that goal scoring is wonderful. I mean, I love Rope Hints. Jason Robertson I talked about it all season. What took so long? 
Tyler say the fact that you said Tyler Sagan has to be a leader, I'm I'm still a little stunned. So it's taking me a minute to catch up. Hey, I'm I'm a little bit dazed myself. <laughs> yeah, honestly, I think Jake Ottinger needs to stay out of his own head. I don't know how he does it. Go watch. Go go to the go to the movie. Go to the theater. Watch a movie. Go to go hunting. Whatever it is, get out of your own head because. Playoffs are a different animal, and he had a strong regular season. I mean, he it, it, challenging, challenging with Sorokin and Linus for a top goaltender in the NHL. I mean, strong season. The playoffs are a totally different animal. He needs to clear his head, get himself ready, because he hasn't been there before. It, yes, in college, being pot is is a small microcosm of what the NHL playoffs are going to be like. Yeah. I, I, I don't think disagree. that I think that's the biggest key for them is he needs to get, he needs to get his head right before the playoffs before he takes game one. Fair deal. Um, looking at the Vegas Winnipeg Jets series. Hmm. You want to start with this one, or you want me to? Uh... No, go ahead. You you've been okay. Just... I'm going to actually start with the easier of the two. Uh huh. For the Jets to succeed, they don't have the offensive depth. Their defense mm-hmm. is solid but not spectacular. Connor Hellebuck has to stay as consistent and as good, or very good as he was in the regular season because the Vegas Golden Knights, they don't have a single 30 goal scorer and they only had three guys actually crack 20 goals this year, but man, the depth of scoring you've got like 10 or 12 guys who were double digits in goals. Um, some of them injured, you know, Mark stone, not sure on his status. Um, Chandler Stevenson, you know, 16 goals is is a solid thing. But when you look at this team and you understand that Chandler Stevenson was the second leading scorer in the team, um, you start to wonder, is it a depth issue? Is it a coaching issue? Um, is it because, let's face it, the Western Conference not particularly replete with uh, with goal with goalie superstars. Actually, the league is a little bit dry on them at the moment. Um, with goalie superstars? Yes. Okay. Interesting. Uh, so I I think um, I think for this you have to look at your you have to look at your like top defensemen. You have to look at Patriangelo and Shea Theodore. And you have to say to them, you need to turn this. You need to turn this game into something that's played from your blue line forward. Um, that you can't. You don't have time to play in your own end. Um, Eichel doesn't have the playoff experience to carry you. Um, William Carlson, yeah, he he went to a Stanley Cup. He went to the finals, but he's never won. 
Phil Kessel is <clears throat> officially hockey old. Um, I, I think that, you know, you're, you're really looking at that at, you know, Theodore Martinez and Petrangelo as the guys who are going to have to give you that push to get you over the hill. It might not be a super big push in the first round, but absolutely anything past the first round, those three guys need to be your Con Smythe uh, leaders in the locker room. Con Smythe leader. Okay. Riley Smith. When Teddy Bluger is when Teddy Bluger is one of the guys that you turn to for that deep playoff run experience, because I'm pretty sure he's won at least one cup with Pittsburgh. Uh, that makes for interesting, because uh, he would not be one. I mean, he's like what third line center, third line winger, something like that. But he's been there, done that. Um, in this instance, you bring in Jonathan Quick. I don't think you're playing him. No. Uh, if you are, I mean, his numbers don't bear out that he should be the guy starting. But like Marc-Andre Fleury, you better listen to him. Been there, done that, couple of cups. Um, is Logan Thompson actually playing? Is he back again? I mean, it, it, I don't know. Like it's, you need this I, I, at this point. I don't believe any of the injury reports. Yeah. No kidding. That's a good point. And he's not listed as injured. So in theory, yeah, but I haven't, I didn't look to see when his last game was. I would imagine that he's probably going to be the one in that then. Um, Defense has got to help out the goal t- for Vegas. You're right. Their goal scoring not – you don't have that beefy 40-goal score, 50-goal, but you've got goal scoring up and down the lineup. I think the defense needs to help out goaltending because, again, Logan Thompson, rookie. But you've got guys who've been there. You've got Martinez. You've got Petrangelo, Shea Theodore. White Cloud, McNabb. I mean, their defense is actually made up of guys who have been there and done that. So I would rely with them. I would rely heavily on the defense to help out the goaltending and make sure that pucks are quick out of the zone, quick up to the forwards, get it going in the opposite direction for Winnipeg. It's almost the same thing. The defense has got to give Hellebuck – the defense has got to help Hellebuck. Again, you look at the defense, and you've got Josh Morrissey. Love it. Nate Schmidt has got experience. Neil Pionk, the guy you brought in in the Truba deal, who can do it. Dylan Sandberg, DeMello. They're a sneaky good defense. They're a sneaky good defense. They need to help out Hellebuck so that he's not standing on his head night after night. No, because when you do that in the playoffs, you give the opposing coaches everything they need to line up your execution order. <laughs> That's putting it a little too bluntly, but the, they give you you're handing away the playbook. 
you're literally handing away the playbook on how to beat you. And the thing is with them, with them, it's not. Yes, a a hot goaltender can steal you a series. A hot goaltender might even win you the. But a, a but an abused goaltender <laughs> is not the same as a hot goaltender. You need to give him. He, he needs to not be facing, you know, 35, 40 shots a night. He needs to. Defense has got to help him out. Get the puck out of the zone again. Get it up. Get the offense going. They've got. They've got Kyle Connor. You've got Dubois, Ehlers, Shifley, Wheeler, guys who can put the puck in the net. Get the puck out of the defensive zone, up to the forwards. Get the get going in the opposite direction. Same thing I said for Vegas, but for different reasons. Vegas is a rookie goaltender. This one is uh, the government mule who's been playing 55-plus games a year for his whole career. <laughs> Um, and then we have the last series. Edmonton Oilers, who are Pacific number two, versus the Los Angeles Kings, Pacific number three. These teams have kind of met before. Okay. Um, this one should be easy, but I don't genuinely believe that it is. Because... Well, it's easy to say, well, Connor McDavid just needs to be Connor McDavid. Okay. And after last year's playoffs, I think that that is more true than it was in the past. Because I think he had that playoff breakout where he learned how to play and win in the playoffs. Um, I also think that you can't be one player deep or two players deep in the playoffs. If one of them isn't your goaltender, um, you can win. You can win a playoff series with a great goaltender. Yeah. A goaltender can steal you a series. Sure. I, I, unless you're, unless your hot forward is, is popping in 12 or 15 goals in a round, which I don't think has ever happened. Um, Certainly not in my lifetime. Uh, I, I think that you need a little bit more than that. <clears throat> so for me, for the Kings, looking at them, I want to see the Sean Jersey and the Alex Ayafalo I've seen in past playoffs. Mm-hmm. I want to see these two be difference makers, not just Mail car- not just water carriers. Um, I'm not saying they were terrible in the regular season. I don't think they were. But Sean Dersey has another higher, more proficient gear with more torque in it. Um, for the Edmonton Oilers, um, is Connor McDavid the best forward in the series? Yes, by a long shot. Um, but I... I I think that we need to see more from than we have seen from Evander Kane and Warren Fogel uh, in this series. I think that those two, if you assume that McDavid and Dreisaitl will be blunted, I think that you have to get more out of guys like Kane and Fogel uh, in order for the team to do the thing. Because I don't think that either side should be relying on their goaltending, even though Stuart Skinner is better than either of the two guys that Edmonton has to call on. I don't think that Stuart Skinner plays for Edmonton. 
Yeah, I, I'm sorry that Los Angeles has to call on. Um, because, uh, I mean, Corpus Allo, he's played 11 games this year. That's not enough consistency. For, for the Kings. For the Kings. It, it, but that communication with your defense is still hugely important. Yes. I, I can't. I, I cannot just say, well, he had a okay 11 games. Um, yes, his playoff run with the Jackets in 1920, and I believe that was – was that the bubble? Which one? 2020? 2019? 1920, yeah. 1920, 68 games, 67 games. No, 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 playoff run. Um, he played uh, – Yeah, but that, the, the, that was the, the, the summer summertime – some some summertime series wasn't it twenty nine nineteen twenty? Didn't they 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 just welcome teams in the what did you call it the the pretend offs yeah yes thank you I mean he had he had a nine forty one save percentage in nine games there um so that's maybe I'm selling him short um but I I think that I'm more impressed by Stuart Skinner's long tenure or longer run, even if it's only 50 games with a nine fourteen, given how bad the defense up there is. Right. Somebody vaguely resembling you told me that they brought in Eckholm. They're better now. They, and they, and indeed they are, but that's one additional defenseman. And they brought in Nick Bugstad, who was one additional forward. Um, okay. I'm not sure who I like in this series. I mean, the Oilers are the best scoring team in the league, but their defense not quite at the same level. And I'm not even going to make a prediction. So no, they don't have they don't have that Drew Doughty guy. So who is so going? Because <laughs> we are way over. Drew Do- Drew Doughty would be a key for me getting under the skin of of. Uh, very. Although they've got a Vander Kane on the other side, so Vander could even that out. But I think Drew Doughty, being the the uh, irritator that he can be, I also think that a couple of the young forwards, especially Trevor Moore and Blake Lazat, need to step up and and improve. Uh, do whatever they can because they're going to need more goal scoring. Yeah, they got Fiala and Kopitar, and I think that they need a little bit of goal scoring because Edmonton is going to do Edmonton things, and that means getting the puck to McDavid and Dreisaitl and then throwing it on net. And Ryan Nugent Hopkins with his 37 goals. And the issue is that after Hyman, they don't have a whole lot of goal scoring on Edmonton. Uh, you start looking around and you got 12 out of Nurse, 16 out of Kane. Granted, it was only in 41 games. Uh, I think Edmonton has to pretend they're not Edmonton. You're saying they have to channel their inner Boston Bruins or – They have to channel somebody other than Edmonton, yes. they Boston Bruins, uh, uh, Pittsburgh Penguins uh, – it just they need to I don't know they need to not be themselves okay I guess yes it. they need to just not be themselves yeah okay I don't mean that Connor McDavid shouldn't score goals he should 
it's that intangible, it's the mental thing. They need to not be themselves. Unfortunately, you're not going to be able to fix Stuart Skinner or whoever's in net. And Jack Campbell was terrible. Yeah, you brought in Ekholm, but the defense is the defense is the defense. It is what it is. They can step up, but eh. it's the head game for them, I think. I think in Edmonton, it's in their head. And for L.A., you just need the young guys to, especially Moore and Lazat, who are pretty decent. They're not great, but they're decent forwards. They need to step up, and you need Drew Doughty to be the agitator that he can be and go from there and hope that Corpusallo will uh, play up to his capabilities. And that is almost where we're done. Um, I will point everyone at a fantastic, or actually, before we go, a couple of things that just did not get to. uh, Last week's poll, or midweek poll, which of these players adds the most games to their playoff resume this year? Uh, Barzal, Berniers, Bunting, or Boldy? Nobody likes Berniers. Nobody, nobody voted for him. Who? Or at least they don't like his team. Barzal got sixty percent of the votes. Bunting got thirteen point three, and Boldy got twenty six point seven. And who was the last one? Matthew Boldy. No, 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 the one that didn't get any votes. Berniers. Beniers? No. Matty Beniers. Seattle for Seattle. Matty Beniers, yeah. Many uh, or Beniers. It depends on who you ask on what day. Yes. He's going to be he's going to be rookie of the year. So, yeah. Yeah. But apparently he's not adding the most playoff games to his resume. Uh, OK, interesting. Um, The date for the 2024 <coughs> top prospects game has been set as January 24th. Um. That will be in Moncton, New Brunswick. So those of you planning your vacations for next January, get her done. Uh, Last and certainly not least, but not something we're not going to talk about uh, for more than 10 seconds each. There is a fantastic (laughs) article on the relationship between Bergeron and Marchand that Emily Benjamin put up on the NHL website. It was on the 14th. It's absolutely worth reading because it's just perfect. You can hear the players' voices as you read the lines. It's just gorgeous. You can tell that these guys have been playing for a long time together, but you can tell that they spend more time together off the ice. I mean, just they are – from wanting to be neighbors to going for walks together. It's uh, break it down. My five seconds. They sound like an old satisfied married couple. Yeah. Or, you know, that are very com- grew up together that are, that are very comfortable with each other. Yeah. The kind of family that does everything together. And I mean, just read the article. Absolutely will not regret it. Um, at least not as much as the uh, Panthers are going to regret their trolling of the Boston Bruins. <laughs> so hockey fans uh, of all ages, shapes, sizes, colors, uh, and tastes, thank you for listening. Share the show with your friends, family, and random people on the street. 
We love you. We'll be back next week. The playoffs are here. The playoffs are here. The playoffs are here.